Hi, welcome to Walla Moms. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. We really appreciate the messages on Walla Moms Pod on Twitter. That's where you can find us if you want to communicate. And somebody told me that I remind them of Nancy Grace, which I love because I did serve as a prosecuting attorney and my mom was a crime buff and we had Nancy Grace on. I mean, she was talking about Chandra Levy when I was in high school and my, this is when my <laughs> demented grandmother was literally demented, unfortunately, was living with us. And I would come home from school and my grandmother would start asking me what I thought happened to <laughs> Chandra Levy. And I'm like, Mom, you need to turn this. Don't watch this around Grandma. It's, it's bad enough that you've got it on around your, your kids. But um, Grandma, demented Grandma, probably shouldn't have a ticker tape running in the background all day long about the current where whereabouts of the body of Chandra Levy. <laughs> but I love that. Maybe I'll go as Nancy. I, I, I share her energy. I 100% share her energy. When I talk about the state of the city of Portland, my upper lip curls up just like Nancy's. And I do have a tone of disgust. So I kind of love that. Maybe I'll start going as Nancy. I don't know. For now, it, pe people seem to love Karen. I've had a lot of middle-aged moms reach out to me. Even people, BIPOC people, people of color, middle-aged moms reach out to me and say, I thought Karen was a white thing, but they said, no, I get called Karen. So it must be a universal epithet. Although generally, I do think it's reserved for middle-aged white women who um, are uppity, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of morphed, hasn't it? Because now there's the COVID Karens, right? Like if you're in the red states, there are COVID Karens who are ratting out bars and restaurants for not following COVID protocols, and they're known as COVID Karens which I kind of love, um, or, I mean, it's one thing if you say, don't, we're not going to make you wear a mask here because we don't want to make it, anybody do anything. And then when you stroll in wearing, I, I, so my girlfriend was telling me about this. There's like a bar or restaurant or something that's not in Portland, but it's Portland metro area. And they said, we're not going to make you wear a mask, even though there's a statewide mask mandate, indoor and outdoor, because we don't believe in telling people what to do. And I guess somebody strolled in there, as one would in the Portland metro area, wearing a mask. And somebody told them, somebody in the who was working in the restaurant, could have been the owner, I don't know, said, get your mask off. <laughs> so there's some cognitive dissonance going on there. They don't want to tell you what to do, but they also, you're not, you're also not allowed to wear a mask in there. Uh, that place is an anomaly here in the city of Portland. Generally, everybody's masked up and they're totally following pro COVID protocols. But to the extent that, you know, some server's mask slips below their nose and, and some 
witch is phoning that in to Deborah Kofori, I think to their little COVID tattletale line, I, that's that's a COVID Karen for sure. That person deserves the moniker of COVID Karen. Those people are just trying to survive. They're just trying to make it. And if you're patronizing that business, that means you're really not as scared of COVID as, as you're pretending to be or as you're virtue signaling to be as you're calling into Deborah Kofori's tattletale line for the the COVID non-protocol followers. You're a COVID Karen. Now, I know people who do stay stuck in their house and are terrified of COVID and they've got their respirators on and their N95s and they don't go anywhere and they order all their groceries. And I kind of joked with them and I was like, you know, um, all those likely BIPOC and impecunious people that you're ordering your groceries from, it's really nice that, that you're in a place of privilege to just order your groceries. And their response, which I thought was smart, was, I think they're happy that I'm not coming into their store. Or it's one less person in their store who's possibly, even though she's vaccinated, obviously we can spread it if we're vaccinated. So who's possibly spreading it around? And I, I thought that was a good response. Uh, but she's, these people are people who really, they really do stay locked away. They're, they're consistent and I got to hand it to them. They are, they are concerned and consistent. Now the people I know who were calling into the COVID tattletale line and uh, going to gallivanting about wineries and spending three hours at Costco and going to Trader Joe's every other day, the, those people I wonder about. Those people are a million percent inconsistent, cognitive dissonance, don't understand the concept of stop loss, the fallacy of stop loss, which is you're doing something for a long period of time that you think has worked. And now that you have different information, you just can't stop. So like cloth mass, we just can't, and Lysoling everything down. We just can't stop with that. Anyway, I have a really good guest today. She is Nurse Betty. She is on the front lines of our healthcare right now. And she's doing COVID testing. She's doing primary care. She's doing all sorts of stuff. She's actually a nurse practitioner. So she has an advanced degree. And I think it's going to be great to talk to her. I think you're going to really like it. She talks about her practice. She talks about her experiences in the city of Portland with homeless people and people suffering from mental illness. And um, this is going to be great. I'm really excited for you guys to hear her. So here is Nurse Betty. Okay, we're here with Nurse Betty. We're just talking about our last episode with uh, where we had Mitch McConnell on and we were talking about uh, the, the non-binary pronoun summer camp. And I was saying that the, I was just remembering the SNL skit with Julia Sweeney where she's <laughs> pat. She, I, they, they're pat. And we don't know if it's a, a man or a woman. You could never do that skit today. No, no. Inappropriate today. <laughs> well, and SNL just canceled. Did you hear about this comedian that they canceled? No. Mm-mm. So they just got rid of some guy. Uh, 
And I didn't know anything about it either. I heard it on a podcast, but apparently everybody else heard about it. Um, he was hired, and then some Shane Gillis, some woke people did a deep dive into his podcast or his Twitter or something and strung together clips of him saying things that they decided were racist or unwoke or whatever and were just doxing the heck out of him and he was I was listening to a podcast that he was on and he was saying he was hired by SNL he he has this really good barometer where he he just doesn't get anxious about things and he just sort of assumed it would never work out and so when they ended up firing him I guess it wasn't it was a bummer but it was like more of a bummer that everybody hated him. It wasn't a, and now he has this YouTube special that's for free because he knew that Netflix and nobody would ever buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said he was hired and they were doxing him and there was Twitter after Twitter after t- tweet after tweet after tweet. And he was sitting across from Lauren Michaels and Lauren was saying, did you say that like this, like some, probably an epithet or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he just said, I, I could have said that. Lauren would say, well, it's fine. it's fine. And then eventually it wasn't fine and they fired him. And I guess he was never even on the show. It was like, he was hired. He went and had a meeting in Manhattan. And he's such an impecunious person. Like, he's so poor that he actually took the, he took the train in from Pittsburgh. And then he was, and, and then it was just like he never had any money. Like, it, it, it was nothing but notoriety from this hiring at SNL. He gets hired. Mm-hmm. No money's coming in. He's not on the show yet. He has a meeting. He's fired. He's. I think he was fired when he was on the train back to Pittsburgh, oh, um, back to a shitty apartment. So, <laughs> so they would obviously uh, never do the Pat skit today because SNL is like succumbing. I mean, I just feel like he's a comedian. I don't know. Right. Yes. But all of that's off the table now, you know? Can you imagine Lenny Bruce performing today? No. Or like Dennis, uh, do you remember Dennis Leary? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. No cure for yep. cancer? Right, right. No. <laughs> or um, remember how he made fun of like earth conscious people and meat, yeah. like vegans and vegetarians mm-hmm. and like called them pussies and stuff? Yeah, that would not fly today. <laughs> yeah, so there was that pat skit, right? And I remember, did you watch, did you remember that with Julie Sweeney? Did you oh, watch yes, it? yes. Uh-huh, I thought it was funny. It was so funny. <laughs> and I remember watching it as a kid and thinking that Pat was not uh, a persona that I would care to engage in. <laughs> right, yes. But now, I mean, who would think that that would become popular? Yeah, right. This is, you know, 100%. And then if you're not a bigot, you're supposed to also engage in that. Like, you're, maybe you should change your pronouns to they and them. Right. Because binary, any binary is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not nuanced enough. Right. I don't know. You have a kid in middle school. Are you, do you yes. hear or see? see like is, is there a lot of talk about pronouns or anything yes um my son actually uh now it seems that you know middle school is always a traumatic time but always. my son just had an incident where someone texted him <clears throat> excuse me and said someone says that you are racist sexist and homophobic 
And this just hurt my son so badly. All three of these things, which he is mm. definitely not. That would hurt an adult. But this is out there. And there's just so much talk of this at the school that I don't even know what my son said or didn't say. But, you know, um, the topic is there. It's front and center. And frankly, I don't really like that. Did this person elaborate as to what was allegedly said or? Uh, that was not disclosed to me, so I don't know. But um, but yeah, it's just such an issue that's front and center to both elementary and especially middle school, I think, um, which these kids, you know, are just finding out who they are, you know, and growing. And I don't think they have a good sexual identity yet yes somebody who listened to the last episode about the pronoun summer camp said well they said a couple interesting things they said and i don't uh some of it i i feel like i'm clear on too but some of it i think i'm still trying to figure out um they said one thing that they said was to the extent their kid decides to participate in this non-binary stuff they're gonna get them hooked up with like a psychologist a, a good therapist somebody who specializes in helping kids navigate gender identity because if it's really mm -hmm. if it's really a if they really feel like they're not who they the body they were born into then right. they probably need help navigating that right yes and that they just sort of use that expert to kind of help them frame how to talk about it, uh, what what to do, what not to do, instead of just going along with it. And I mean, who knows? They're they're lit. I mean, they're little kids. If you think about like twelve year olds, even like fourteen year olds, they're little. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't. They're feel still like developing. Little right. When you're that age. Right. That's but true. now that we're middle-aged, you look at them and you're like, they're little kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just think, you know, they've got a lot that they're dealing with, with everything going on in the world right now, and this is just another thing that adds stress. Well, and what, the, what this person was telling me was, they said, we're just going to tell, we have told our kids, we're not putting up with this garbage of my name's Adrian and you're going to call my pronouns are they and them. Like that's not happening. If you decide mm -hmm. you're not comfortable in the body you were born into, let's get you hooked up with some mental health mm -hmm. help. Right. But otherwise your name is your name. Mm -hmm. You're a boy or you're a girl mm -hmm. period. Right. And you know, later we, or, or maybe even now, I guess I knew I like boys in kindergarten. We, we, we can talk about like your <laughs> sexual preference, which is a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Which is not even, not about pronouns or non-binary. I don't think. I mean, maybe in Portland it is, and I'm just like completely out of it. But I think sexual, my understanding is sexual preference is a whole other thing than like, I'm, my pronouns are X, Y, Z, and I'm they and them. Mm -hmm. And non-binary. Right. Is that your understanding? That's my understanding, yes. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that they said that I thought was interesting is that they think that this Portland trend of not just having to state your pronouns constantly, 
mm-hmm. and, and adults participating in this and putting in their email signatures. It, it, mm-hmm. The other night we had a Zoom call for back to school night and there were multiple parents whose names were very, ma- like they were masculine names. There was mm-hmm. no, and their picture was clearly of a man and they had their male pronouns. Right, right. And even my kid noticed it when we, I was, of course, muted um, and my video was not playing, but she noticed it, pointed to it and said, joked, yeah, because I was super confused about that. Yeah, right, right. That wasn't obvious. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know Adam went by he, him and his. Right. Yeah. And also with the he, him, his, we got it with the he, right? Do we need to do all three of them? Exactly. I think we all know, we, we learned that in elementary school, you know, basic our, our basic pronouns. We could just do one at a time, and I think we'd, we'd get it. But like the what this person was saying to me, their feed, feedback on that episode wasn't just like, I'm not putting up with that garbage for my kids. It was also, I think it's fucking up our kids mm-hmm. because... It's, we're telling, we're not only saying you need to repeat your pronouns, don't screw up anybody. It's so much pressure. They're under so much fucking pressure already. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And living in Portland is so oppressive anyway. And now you have to pay attention to your pronouns. You have to remember everybody else's fakakta pronouns. And you have to, you probably should declare yourself non-binary because that's the as, as an ally, like, yeah, it's trendy and to yes. be recognized and get some attention and whatever, but also in, in allyship with others who are non-binary. Right. Which is what you said, 1% of the, or... It's such yeah. a tiny... <laughs> right. Scientifically. Tiny, tiny percent. Well, not, of, excuse yeah. me, not even scientifically. The people who say they identify as that mm-hmm. is such a tiny percentage of the population, but in this city, mm-hmm. it feels like it might be 50%. Oh, right, right. I mean, just based on what we're told to do and, you know. I don't, I'm not Pat. I do believe that if I were Pat, if I presented as non-binary and if I have a name like Morgan or Adrian or something, I, I think I might put my pronouns in there if I was sick of people getting the wrong one. Yes, yes. If people really made helpful. a mistake all the time, called you a different pronoun than what you wanted, then yes, I could see putting that on there. And that would be helpful for everybody. It would yes. make me happier, mm-hmm. and, right. it, and it would give people guidance. That would make sense. But the idea that Gary, with a picture of a phenotypical man on the Zoom meeting, needs to say his, him, and <laughs> I, he, or whatever. I mean, it was just sort of... What are we do? What are we devolving right. into? Right. We get it, Gary. Uh, yes. We can see that you're a man. Your name is Gary. We don't. <laughs> we don't need guidance on this issue. We don't have too many questions about that. Yep, I agree. So, so in your workplace, are you guys doing pronouns on email or communications? Well, we just had a national training session, which was about an hour's worth of working on pronouns. And we each were supposed to go around and tell our pronouns on our Zoom chat. And it was just like, 
really not something that I needed to spend an hour on. I'll tell you that. So yes, our, um, you know, uh, leaders, um, people, managers are putting their pronouns on their email. I have not, um, but that is what we're going to. What, what was your response when you, did everybody participate in saying their pronouns? Everybody but me. They said if you're uncomfortable with doing it, you can just write that in the chat. And that's what I did. Um, because it just felt wrong to me. So I just didn't do it. Confabulated and contrived. Exactly. Yes. So, but like yes. It's not a, it's, these are people you work with. Right. Yes. In person. Right. And we're all going around telling our pronouns. So, you know, I, I hope nobody has a question about what mine are, but you know, if they do, I guess I can tell them, but I don't need to do it in a zoom meeting because I'm told to. Wouldn't it be frightening? I don't know. To me, it would be frightening if somebody was confused. It would be very upsetting. Yes, it would, it would be upsetting to me. I mean, you know, uh, I have no question about my pronouns, so, you know, it would be, um, yeah. Well, tell us, let's um, get your background. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you did your undergraduate and your graduate work. Uh, yes, yeah, so I did my undergraduate work back in Indiana, Northwest Indiana, and got my bachelor's degree in nursing, and then... Um, Worked a couple of jobs, uh, one in dialysis and one in uh, the operating room, and moved out here to Portland. Um, and then I got my master's degree, um, family nurse practitioner, national certification um, at University of Portland. How did you end up coming to Portland from Indiana? I was in a small town in Indiana. I liked the big city, but I wasn't ready to go to Chicago. It was a little overwhelming for me. So my brother was living out here and I decided to visit him in July, 1998. And I ended up moving out in August and have stayed ever since. So it was beautiful. The city was clean, uh, lots of young people, lots of things to do. Um, I felt safe living here as a single woman at the time. Um, so I loved it. This is going to sound like a rhetorical question, but it's really not. Do, do you, I just want people that, and, and particularly people who haven't been out and about in Portland proper, like for our Hillsboro or Tigard or Tualatin or Sherwood people to under, have an understanding of this. Mm -hmm. Has Portland changed since you moved here? Oh my gosh, it has completely changed. Um, this is no longer the beautiful, um, vibrant city that I moved to with a downtown that I would frequent uh, to go to bars or restaurants um, or go see a concert down on the waterfront. Um, you know, this is a city that is full of tents and homeless and mentally ill and garbage strewn everywhere. It's not a clean city anymore. It's a trash pile. Um, so it's also seeing a huge increase in gun violence. Um, you know, uh, I don't feel as safe as I used to living here. I wouldn't want to be a single 
woman that I was back in the 90s, um, you know, and, and move here. So yes, it's definitely a huge change and for the worse, if you ask me. So like if you were in Indiana today, would you move to Portland? No, no, it's, it's a trash strewn, homeless Mecca, uh, you know, with tents everywhere. Um, I wouldn't want to raise my kids here if I had the choice, but you know, at this point, I am here, my parents are here, I can't really move because um, of my family uh, and my husband and I both have good jobs here. So, you know, but no, I wouldn't have, if I came to visit now down at the waterfront, oh, I get to see some tents and some needles and some trash, you know, this is not, not the city for me. Yeah, it's really sad the way that it's deteriorated, it's just really... It is. It really makes me very sad and upset. What would you say to people who would criticize what you just said and say, um, you're, you're a NIMBY, you know, homeless people are everywhere and you just don't want to see them. What would you say to that? I would say, what kind of a person thinks that it's okay for a person to live their life in a tent? Why is that okay for somebody? It's not. We have, you know, we have resources that we need to get in place in Portland to move people out of tents into places where they can use a bathroom, have a trash can, have access to mental health and drug addiction help. I think those things are all much more humane than having somebody strewn along a downtown sidewalk in a tent what 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 resources do we have that you know of here in Portland like if somebody comes into your clinic mm -hmm. and they want to get housed or they want to get off drugs or they they want to get on their lithium or whatever what mm -hmm. do we have resources that you can direct them to well, if they have a family member who's with them who, you know, has connections and money and time to spend getting them in somewhere and paying for it, then I think that there are, you know, inpatient facilities in the city. But if you do not have any money or someone who can help you get to the mental state that you need to be in in order to get to a care facility inpatient, then no, you're given something in the emergency room or the urgent care and you're back out on the street. And like, do you literally see that where you have to put people back out on the street? Yes. I saw a schizophrenic man who uh, was complaining about somebody implanting some metal into his hip and uh, very agitated and you know screaming at us uh, and there's nothing I can do I, I don't have anything to offer him because he has no one there to help him and so you know it's either go to the emergency room which he's probably not gonna make it over there or you know go back out onto the street end up in a jail um, you know and and or just living on the streets. So it's very frustrating. I mean, I feel like we do not have enough resources, but it's also really difficult to get people 
to inpatient treatment with the current laws that we have. And I know you know more about that than I do being a lawyer, but, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're free to be on drugs and not want treatment, and you're free to be mentally ill and not want treatment. I mean, it's very difficult, very Mm -hmm. difficult to get any kind of conservatorship. Yes. And even if you have money, I have a friend, her sister is extremely, has, I don't know what you guys, poly, what would you, uh, comorbidities maybe you'd call it in Mm -hmm. the healthcare setting where Mm -hmm. she's extremely mentally ill and has an addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. Tons of resources in the family. Tons, mm-hmm. This woman, this particular woman who is very ill, has a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. They can't, nobody will take her. Yeah, yeah. If she doesn't want to, then, you know, she'll be out on the street. Well, she's actually saying she wants to, but oh. nobody will admit her. Ah. I mean, she went to rehab. Mm-hmm. So they'll readmit her for payment to Hazelden or wherever. They'll read mm-hmm. her for rehab. Okay. Um, but she's done, she did a lot of time. I don't, I, I don't think she's, I, although she's technically still an addict, I don't think she's back on substances. My understanding is her mental illness is just completely out of control. Mm. Her meds are out of control. She doesn't have continuity of care because she got her meds adjusted at rehab and then was discharged from rehab in some other city that's like hard to get to and that care is has sort of ended and she needs to transition her mental health care elsewhere but everybody has a waiting list right right i mean even though she can pay by the hour mm-hmm. nobody there's nobody they're to, full yeah yeah mm-hmm. there's nobody to yeah. take her money right and uh she would like to be admitted to psychiatric care mm-hmm. and she's happy to pay for that and wow. no one will admit her because they're saying they can't admit her unless she's suicidal. Like they're basically right. saying we can't we can't admit you because you don't have a diagnosis that would justify mm-hmm. inpatient. Right. If you're not suicidal or homicidal, uh, then there you go. You can't get admitted. So it's very difficult and it's a big, big problem. So is that really true? So like her sister is saying to the medical professionals that they do have the do call back is the sister who's functional is saying, um, this one, my sister, this woman is, she's having a, she's having such a, a mental health episode that like if she gets in the car, she could kill somebody or if she, I don't know if she would, she could wander off. Right. Yeah. Or she could get, she did do this. She got in the car, started driving, ended up in a semi far away town, had a huge episode there, was getting kicked out of bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. It's all, it was almost like to get the emergent care she needed, she would have had to be arrested. And even then that's not care. It's just sort of like somebody who's restraining her. Right. Yeah, that's... So is that true? Yes. If you want to be admitted by an inpatient mental health facility, you you can't unless you want to kill yourself or others? If you're presenting to the emergency department or to the urgent care. 
What about, is there, I mean, they're telling me, and I don't know what your experience is, but these people are telling me they are taking her from private facility to private facility and they won't admit her. Wow. I don't know what's going on with that. Are there private, are there private facilities? I didn't even know that there were. Like rehabs, not a rehab, a rehab type place for somebody with severe mental illness. Do you know? I think that there is one um, mental health hospital here in town. Um, and then, of course, there's the state hospital, you know, but um, there's, there's not much. Hospital? I believe so. What's it? Do you know what it's called? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Well, um, but see, the fact that you don't know what it's called <laughs> right. shows the extent of the problem. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. So really what we need, I mean, it should be state funded. If you're, you shouldn't have to be a rich person to get into these facilities, but really, I mean, she's willing to admit herself like this. That's what's so unique about this. She is not a service resistant person. She is willing to go Mm -hmm. to an inpatient mental health facility, but nobody, everybody's refusing to admit her. The state hospital certainly is any ER. They tried first with the ERs, and that was all a no. I, mm-hmm. And I had talked to him about that because when I tried that with my dad, that was it was always a no-go. Mm-hmm. It was only a go when he finally admitted to having suicidal ideation. Right. And then the next day he woke up and said he was fine, and they ha- literally had to discharge him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says he's yeah. fine. He's eating. Right. So there you go. Yeah. It's, it's just horrible. I mean, there's nothing... That can be done and then people just end up on the streets and they end up here in Portland in a tent you know so it's just a big crisis I feel it's so tricky it's like um, what we really need is an overhaul of the healthcare system similar to drug it seems like I mean, I would go a step further and get a lot of conservatorships for service-resistant people, but let's Mm -hmm. just take people who want services Mm -hmm. and people who are amenable to inpatient mental health treatment. It seems like, isn't part of the problem insurance? Like, these insurance companies won't pay for it. Right, yeah. That's another problem, too. Yeah, Yeah, they're not compelled to pay for it. It's not like rehab. Right. Yeah, they don't, you know... It's just another another issue with that. So we should have wrapped that up in Obamacare about like what they like with birth control, or whatever, what they were compelled to pay for. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that there is a market. I mean, and I know a lot of rehabs take advantage of the Medicaid and Medicare system, and I, you know, I get. I know they take advantage of insurance companies, and a lot of them are mills, but. It mm-hmm. is, like, if you go down to Florida, I mean, you can't swing a dead cat and not hit a rehab center. <laughs> I mean, they're all just there wi- willing and ready to take your parents' money, your insurance yeah. money. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we, I'm not saying we need mental health mills like that, but wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of access for people who wanted inpatient mental health treatment? Absolutely. Yes. Where I mean. you could just walk in, mm-hmm. commit yourself, and sign up like a rehab, mm-hmm. and uh, your parents could fork over the money, or you fork, in this case, my friend's sister could fork over the money, mm-hmm. or your insurance, you know, ideally, it would be like most, my understanding is most insurance mm-hmm. is from a rehab. Mm-hmm. I believe rehab. so. Mm-hmm. 
So ideally, it would cover drug, uh, excuse me, mental health inpatient treatment in the same way it covers drug rehab, and you'd be able to just admit yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to have mental health seen as something that you're treating, just like you're treating diabetes. I mean, you need to take your medicine because of some chemical imbalance in your brain. It's, you know, been such a stigma and, you know, it's just another disease that needs to be treated just like diabetes or hypertension, you know, and uh, people, I think insurance companies, who knows, don't understand um, that as well. Yeah. So what would you say, I mean, some of these are philosophical questions that are tricky to wrestle with. I, for me, like, what would you say to somebody who said, well, okay, you guys have just broken down what, I mean, pun intended, I guess, broken down why there's a breakdown in these systems and the ability to help people. If they can't get help and there's no place for them to go, uh, why not just accept that they might just pitch a tent in 10 feet in front of your house? Because, yeah, they're, I just don't think it's a humane way to treat fellow human beings is to have them sit in a tent on the sidewalk. Um, and, uh, I mean, it is, it is interesting though, because I think, when I tell people, when I say things to people like you, I complain about all these tents and then people say, well, it, Portland's a much bigger city and they don't have affordable housing. And I say, well, they don't have tents on the sidewalk in Manhattan or exactly. in Times Square. Exactly. And they say, but it snows there. <laughs> right. But then right. I would say, well, they don't have them in San Diego. And I guess if you follow that line of logic further down, like Kevin Falconer, who was the mayor of, of San Diego, he had a deal where uh, he set up shelters. So there was, he would comply with the Ninth Circuit mandate that you've got to have shelters for people if you're going to mm-hmm. tell them to get off the street. And, mm-hmm. and even Wheeler says, we have, a, we have shelter space. I mean, when he was clearing people out of Laurelhurst, they were asking them, do you, we have shelter space, please let us take you to a shelter. And they were, most of them refused. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is we have shelter space for these people. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go. Exactly. They're yeah. service resistant. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. But yes. in San Diego, he built all, Kevin Falconer built all this space for people to go and he had wraparound services with the mental health and the rehab and he hooked him up with family members and then if it was no to every single one of those options he put him on a bus and sent him outside of city limits and i mm-hmm. i guess people would say some people would say well under your philosophy in this podcast, it's not the drug addicted or mentally ill person's fault. They're going to be service resistant and really what we need is conservatorships. And so mm-hmm. is it humane to ship them outside of city limits? Is that the right thing to do? Uh, and I guess I would say, I would, I, I'm interested in your opinion on this. I would say it has to be because at some point, 
we need to, those of us who are functioning and writing checks mm-hmm. for taxes need to continue to do that. Right. And, you know, I think it's not humane, as I've said a couple of times, to be in a tent. So um, I would rather see people connected to their family. I mean, you've mentioned that before uh, in one of your podcasts about, you know, getting connected to your family. um, And, you know, that's what you need in order to recover from addiction or mental health, you know, when you're in the throes of that. So, um, you know, it's there's no ideal situation, but um, I'd say buses of taking people out of the counties where we're paying extremely high taxes is not unheard of. Well, and it's some, it just seems like at some point the rest of us have to function. Yes. And nobody can function. It's very difficult. I, I, I don't know how, how you see this issue, but I find it very difficult to function mm-hmm. and very difficult to watch my kids watch mm-hmm. people disintegrating. Yes, it is very disturbing. It's not something you want your kids to witness. Um, and unfortunately, we had uh, someone who was, you know, as I like how you put it, gorked out of their mind, uh, ride up on a razor scooter to our house and proceed to uh, bang on our door and throw our trash cans down our driveway and uh, walk, you know, throw celery in our yard and, you know, then proceeded to take a dump on the flower pot on the side of our house. Um, And, you know, my kids were scared um, and I didn't like it. And this is what, you know, is happening now here in Portland is, you know, there's just too much of this going on and it's unsettling. I also feel like here in Multnomah County, we pay very high property taxes. Uh, I would love to see my taxes go toward something like a nice park uh, or, you know, a nice downtown that I can visit. Uh, but no, I don't have that. Um, you know, I keep seeing things about people finding needles in the parks. Uh, somebody took a, you know, dump on the top of the slide at Colonel Summers Park, you know, and the birthday party was there. And, uh, you know, so this... Wait, whose birthday yeah, party was there? I don't know the people, but I saw <laughs> the post on, uh, you Are know, you social media about, yeah, that, that they were having a little girl's <laughs> birthday party. Oh and they found human feces on the top of the slide, you know. And uh, so, okay, no, no, we're not going to go on the slide, kids. We're going to go to the swings, you know. So uh, that's uh, near Belmont, uh, Belmont and uh, 12th or I'm not sure. Southeast. Uh, close. Yeah, southeast. So, but, you know, I mean, I would love to have my tax money going toward something here in Portland, too. Um, and I guess they wouldn't somebody get... say, well, there's a, you know, soon to be 4%. I mean, they're graduating it upward. I think right now it's 2% or something, but there's going to be this, there's this homeless tax that's in place when they, I mean, <laughs> right. Although I still see a lot of homeless. I don't, <sighs> I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> thank goodness we're paying that arts tax too. Yeah. Right. The 30, you know, what's interesting. <laughs> hmm. I have a friend 
who is a, I don't know if they're on the board, but they're very, they're definitely patrons of the symphony and just donate wonderfully exorbitant amounts to them. And the symphony, they invited me to an event where the, they were doing this, the director who's newer was sort of doing a plea for fundraising and included in his plea, he said, a question I get asked a lot is how much money from the, how, how could we really be hurting because everybody pays this arts tax every year in Multnomah <laughs> County. And he said, we don't hmm. see a dime of that. Where does it go? I just don't know where he that said, goes. I don't know where it goes. And yeah. then we all looked around at each other, those of us who were listening to this. And, and I even leaned over to my friend and said, do you know where that goes? And yeah. And she said, I I don't know, but my, I don't know for sure, but my understanding is it goes to like a BIPOC person painting in their garage. <laughs> like people yeah. who apply for, who, who want to do art and maybe are <laughs> just are at the margins of society or historically a discriminated against population maybe and, and aren't yet successful monetarily and may never be and but anyway it does mm-hmm. not go to the symphony so. yeah yeah but it's yeah. I think those are like really tricky philosophical questions I guess mm-hmm. what I would say is at some point it does the people who are service resistant do come into conflict with the people who are just trying to raise kids and pay their bills and mm-hmm. I mean I wouldn't show my kids the some of the stuff my kids have seen I wouldn't show them on a documentary on television right it's just disturbing it's yeah it's really sad too yeah it's sad for everybody and I guess yeah. people would say well where would you put them and I just keep coming back to we need to, they need to be involuntarily committed. That's where they need to. And and if you're on the side of the fence where you think that's a fucked up perspective, and I know there are many of you out there who do and who think people should have the right to just self-destruct and be on drugs and just choose to live in tents and not take their lithium, I do think they should be best elsewhere. Mm-hmm. They can go not mm-hmm. take their lithium elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if that's your perspective, that's not my perspective. My perspective yeah. is they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be in that situation. And they just don't realize that to get out of it, they have to accept these services. They're not in any kind their brain is not in any kind of condition to accept that. I mean, you're a healthcare right. professional. Yes, I totally agree. I think, you know, as you had mentioned before, when President Reagan deinstitutionalized, you know, mental health, that led to more homeless, uh, more more of our jails being filled up with mentally ill patients, and the jail is not the place where they're going to get better. The jail is, you know, not the place uh, to treat people with mental illness. But unfortunately, that's what was forced to happen when they weren't allowed to be admitted to mental health hospitals or facilities, and so. Uh, you know, it's a big problem. People don't have their, you know, sound judgment regarding their health uh, when they're in the throes of mental illness. And uh, so I think, you know, it's just 
unfortunate that there are not more mental hospitals to help people. They don't have to be the straight jacket nightmare, you know, scenes that you've seen on horror American films, horror you know, story. right. But insane asylum. <laughs> exactly. You know, so they can actually help people by getting people to take the medication that they need. And then, ah, oh, you know, people actually can become members of society again once they get their medicines in them and they don't have to be living on a tent anymore. How, how did you, how did you decide to get into healthcare? Well, I just kind of, uh, fell into it. I had a couple of relatives who were nurses and I, you know, wasn't ever bothered by blood and guts and I thought it was interesting. So I ended up going to nursing school. So would you still pursue that today? I think I would. I mean, I still find it interesting. Uh, it's definitely not an easy road. Uh, but you know, I think that it is a fulfilling career. You're helping people, you know, there's lots of different things that you can do, uh, as a nurse, lots of different areas. And so, um, you know, I think that I still would, uh, even with the pandemic going on right now. Because you, are you still doing COVID testing? We are doing a lot of COVID testing, yes. So, um, unfortunately, with the Delta variant, um, it's been really, we've seen record numbers of people in our clinics. So, a lot of people are burning out, a lot of providers going to other areas other than urgent care, which is where I currently work. Um, so it's not easy. And in urgent care, you see, you really see everything. We do. We see all ages, all conditions. Uh, you know, we often do have to refer people to the emergency room, but, um, we handle what we can when uh, people walk in. What percentage of the people that you see, do you think, uh, you would characterize as, as, homeless or transient? That depends on what part of the city that I'm working in. Uh, I float to different places, but um, in the Northeast, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, you know, I'd say, you know, 30% or more. Um, it's hard to say because uh, every day is different, but um, definitely a lot uh, there. But pretty much every day, do you expect to see a homeless person in your practice? Yes. At least one? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then... And there's really nothing you can do for them other than treat whatever medical condition they're presenting with. Yeah, it's really... And it's physical. It has to be physical, generally, right? We don't have as many resources um, as even the emergency department does as far as having a social worker on hand. So um, we really can't do, I mean, we can give them phone numbers, you know, to call, but, uh, here, you know, you can get a bed here. Um, but it's not very effective, you know, so there's not much I can do. It's really, um, it's frustrating. So if somebody's having a psychotic episode and they come in, what, mm -hmm. how do, where do you even start? Right. I mean, um, it's if if they have no one with them, um, then 
I'd say if we feel that they're a harm to other people, uh, depending on their psychosis, then we'll have to call the police. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's if you're just, you know, wacky, then you're going to go back out on the street, you know? Do you, so it's not like you can, you don't have any psychs on staff. It's not like you can sit them down and prescribe some Seroquel or lithium or something. I mean, I've refilled those medicines for people when they're getting low on them, but I don't usually start people on that now. Um, now it wouldn't be recommended because, you know, they don't have any, they probably won't take it anyway if they're out of it, you know, so. That's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And you probably, do you see teenagers coming in for sexual health issues, preg teen pregnancy, things like that? Yes, we see it all. Um, but yes, there are lots of um, kids out there too. Um, you know, I say kids, teenagers um, who are sexually active, um, STDs, um, you know, and pregnancies happening, unfortunately. And they're generally all, you don't see anybody under 13 like that? Not usually. That's um, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> usually over 13. So. But, I mean, 13, again. Yeah, but 14, know, I've, yeah, I've seen that, so. Mm -hmm. A four, pregnant 14-year-old, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's sad, too. Well, I've, even I've seen that. When I was in high school, we had two uh, girls on our cheerleading squad. One was had a baby and was married, and one, hmm. yeah, another one had a baby and was unmarried, but she was also what happened to be one of my best friends, and she got pregnant with that baby at 14. Wow. I know. Oh, that's a tough life, I think, you know? Yeah, but it's just so funny when you're a kid. I mean, even when you're in high school, your brain is so deformed. I mean, just yes. unformed. And right. I, it, you know what you know. And if you're growing up without a lot of money or resources around a lot of other people like that, mm -hmm. it's this is your friend. That's your your norm. friend has a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because I just... Uh, I knew that I was going to a high school with the highest pregnancy rate in the state, and, and there were always people pregnant. And so this was just somebody I was friends with who happened to be one of those people. And then I invited a friend from another high school, a, a guy friend that I grew up with from another high school, over to her house, my friend with a kid's house. And it, it just like, all of a sudden I re realized the reality of what was going on when he... He said, I really like her, but it's crazy how this kid keeps running in here calling her mommy. <laughs> and I was oh, like, I just sat, I sat there for a minute and I'm like, oh yeah, that's super mind blowing. Like that's wrong. That's, right. This shouldn't be, there's nothing okay about uh, any of that. But, right. but it's just, it seems to, and that had happened with her mother. I think her mother there's sort of that cycle of poverty and that cycle, uh, I think a lot of that is just about a cycle of what you consider 
to be normal and what you see around you and mm-hmm. you replicate that because that's what you know mm-hmm. and it's right. not weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's just what you've grown up with. And so that's the norm. And there's really no, it's not that there's no shame in that. Although I think there's, there might be some of that too, but it's just, if it happens to you, big deal. It happened to mom. It happened to grandma. It happened to your aunt. It, and yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to be on food stamps for a while, but everybody else is too. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's, let's just have it and raise it. And, um, yeah, I feel yeah, bad for those women in Texas right now. I'll tell you that right. And those girls. Oh, right. Yes. That is another issue. Now you, I know you have your, to be a nurse practitioner, you have to have a master's degree. That's right. And that means you can prescribe drugs. That's correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. In Oregon, is this true in other states too? You can be a registered nurse with just like two years of post high school education. Yes, I believe that's true. Um, and uh, I think, you know, then you can move on and get your bachelor's degree um, and apparently make more money, um, you know, with that degree. Is it so. hourly or salary or does it depend on the employer? I think it's usually hourly, um, but it probably depends. I don't know. So your hourly rate uh, can go up depending on your educational uh, status attained like you can charge obviously you would charge a lot more than an RN with a two-year degree mm-hmm. right and you're right. prescribing meds and you have all these other roles too mm-hmm. right we can diagnose and treat and prescribe medicine so and don't aren't insurance companies tending to prefer that you do that more and more because it's just more cost effective I don't know. Um, I'm not sure about the insurance companies, but, um, you know, I think that there's a role that we can certainly play. Um, and we do have training and we do have national certification through a national test. Um, so, you know, I think it's, there's a shortage of doctors out there. And so, um, you know, I think we can play a role, um, in cost-effective healthcare, a huge role. Are most let's switch back to the COVID stuff that you're doing. Are most mm-hmm. of the positive COVID tests that you're seeing unvaccinated people? Yes, the majority are unvaccinated. Um, there are those breakthrough cases. I have seen some, but not too many, and they're usually not as ill as the people who are unvaccinated. And then another question I get over and over again is how many sick kids are you seeing? Like, are you seeing this phenomenon that everybody's terrified about who has kids in school? Like their kids going to end up on a ventilator or anything? Are you seeing or hearing about any of that? I mean, I'm hearing about it just in the mainstream media, but personally I have not seen a child that is that ill. Uh, come into our clinic Um, when the kids have gotten tested they're mainly um, very mild illness Um, actually most of the kids that I've tested recently have been negative so um. so did you did you hear about what Bill Maher said about COVID and like your fear of COVID is sort of dependent on your political party oh no I didn't hear that okay so He said, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, he said something like, 
you know, most Democrats think you're going to get COVID. Every, they're all going to get COVID and they're all going to die. And most Republicans think there's just no, there's no thought about it. Mm-hmm. It's just take right. your mask off, go to your NFL game at Vegas Stadium <laughs> with 90,000 other people screaming. Right. And you're going to be fine. But what's so weird to me is, um, you know, the re- apparently the reason we did this outdoor mask mandate in Oregon is because some people went to the Pendleton Whiskey Festival hmm. and got sick. Uh, they're they're saying they're surmising or assuming that they got sick there. We don't know that if they went into indoor restrooms or when if a group of them went to a bar afterwards. We don't have any of that data. But I think the assumption was, oh my God, it's spreading outside and we need to wear a mask. And what I find confounding is you turn on like Monday Night Football mm-hmm. and in these red states in particular, and these mm-hmm. stadiums are filled with like 90,000 people without a mask on screaming. And I haven't Packed heard full. anything <laughs> about super spreader events. Right, right. I have not either. Mm-mm. And yet we're all walking around. I mean, I, I said the other day, I think the left-wing version of QAnon is these people walking around alone outside with a cloth mask on. <laughs> in Oregon, we're all just walking around outside with masks on. Masks, yes. I mean, I think in part because we, you know, we don't want somebody to pick up the phone and do a tattletale line to Deborah Kafori and get fined for not wearing a mask <laughs> or get in trouble or get... Right, a lot right. of it is just, like, not dealing with the hassle of, of getting screamed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having... Uh... To pick up my children from the, you know, uh, playground area and getting, you know, the evil eye or, you know, even a complaint to the principal if you're not wearing your mask outdoors, even if you're 20 feet away from somebody. Do you, as a healthcare professional, do you have any understanding about, do you have any understanding about whether these this is first of all I guess I'm wondering do you think it's spreading outdoors no I think that they have done studies which have shown and I think you even brought up some of these studies in your previous podcast that outdoors you know ventilation that it's very unlikely to spread especially if you're you know very far apart from people you're not standing close to them for hours upon end you know I think it's a very rare thing to have that yeah that's my that's my understanding too I mean it's just we're so we're god we are this is such a weird state and we are this is such a bizarre oppressive city mm-hmm. um and I'm not like a, I'm definitely not a libertarian I'm not like I need my liberty I need to take my mask off I mean I, if I really mm-hmm. thought mask mandates work I'd be all for it I, I'm for the vaccine I mean I'm fully vaccinated yeah, I think that's everybody for sure. should get vaccinated definitely um, and just based on the data you're seeing, it's these are unvaccinated people who are getting sick. That's correct, yes. And in the hospital, you know, um, at the hospitals in the area, I believe it's, you know, 90-some percent of the people who are hospitalized are unvaccinated. So, Do, do you get, switching back to this mental health and addiction stuff, do you, do you get training as a nurse practitioner on mental health and addiction issues? I mean, we did in school a little bit, but uh, it's really 
nothing that prepares you for, um, you know, the actual clinic and what's going on. I feel like the preparation was minimal. Um, so that was, you know, something you just have to learn on the job. So did you feel prepared at all to walk into the status quo, like 2021 Portland, Oregon, and just your practice today? Do I feel prepared for... Yeah, I mean, do you feel... If you could go... If you could create curricula or create training for nurses generally, forget nurse Uh practitioners, somebody working in healthcare Mm -hmm. in Portland, Oregon, would you include a component of mental health care and addiction? How large would that be? Oh, yeah. I think that would be extremely important. Um, So I think it should be, you know... At the top of the list of training, um, it's just, it's so prevalent right now. Um, even, even people who we see for COVID testing, I mean, there's just this underlying anxiety in everyone right now. Um, so we have to kind of talk everybody down, um, you know, that comes into the clinic and it's just anxiety upon anxiety, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether, you know, it's your job. I mean... There's just so much going on right now that I think that um, mental health is definitely impacting every single person here. Yeah, I didn't even think about that piece, which is forget about gorked out of their mind type people. Just your right. everyday workaday person right. coming in with insurance that needs to do their appointment and get back to work. They're probably emoting all these <laughs> mental health issues that they're having. We've seen a lot of panic attacks recently or tingling in the hands and feet, you know, um, shortness of breath, uh, you know, and it comes down to panic attack, you know, and that's just becoming more and more prevalent too in the clinics, I would say, um, just based on the amount of anxiety that, you know, people in our world today are facing. Yeah. Do these... Are you able to attribute, I mean, you probably don't have time, but are you able to attribute these to anything specific? I mean, do you think it's COVID? Do you, do you think they're, are they afraid of COVID? Or is it just anxiety in general because of lockdowns and changing rules? And is it right to do this or that? Or what, is it going to mm-hmm. get shut down? Is my kids school? Is it just sort of a generalized yeah. anxiety? I think the pandemic plays, you know, a major role and whether it's, my kid got sent home from school today and so I have to stay home from work and now I'm not getting paid or you know, I've had too many absences and so now I'm going to get fired, you know. I mean, whether it's that or whether it's, you know, um, I'm really scared. My parents are 80 years old and I don't want to get them sick, but Johnny was at school and he, you know, got um, exposed and there's just so much anxiety with all of the, you know, parts that the pandemic has played in our world. Um, that And there's so many mixed messages out there. I mean, mainstream media will tell you one thing, you listen to, you know, someone else, uh, and they're telling you something else, um, you know. And so it's very confusing for the general population as well, I think. Even as a healthcare worker, I mean, do you feel like you can just, trust what's coming at you information wise not really I feel like I need to do my own research you know um when I have time you know to do that and 
uh, base my thoughts and practices on, you know, the data. Have you always felt that way? Like skeptical of information coming at you from, say, government sources or television or print news? No, I think that has increased um, with the pandemic and with Donald Trump and, you know, all of that. So... Do you do you see an increase in mental health issues in your patients generally since, well, I guess since Trump or since COVID? Because <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of anxiety when Trump was president. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, for me, probably more after the pandemic started, you know, is just when everybody panicked and, you know, Um, And, you know, there's lots of reasons right now to be anxious. And so, you know, I don't blame anybody to, you know, feel that way. I mean, I feel that way. My kids feel that way. Um, You know, so it's just a really difficult time. Um, Lots of anxiety. And I feel like, boy, if we could get some mental health resources out there, that sure would help. You know, um, but I don't see anybody working on that. I don't ever hear Mayor Wheeler uh, mentioning, you know, that. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I, I just haven't heard that. Um, but you know, it sure would be good to hear him uh, say something about that to to get our city moving in the right direction. Say anything about anything, really. Right. <laughs> Have yeah. any well. plan with any substance. <clears throat> Right. Other than having a, a party downtown with a pink martini, celebrating uh, uh, the revitalization of, of the downtown, which I know you And look you how see. beautiful it is now. <laughs> right. Yes. You so. know, it really worked out when you put on that orange vest and had, was poking at papers on the street and said he was going to clean up all the trash. Right. Right. You know. So I just think, you know, there needs to be some sort of conversation about that it would be great to hear mayor wheeler say that but um you know do something about it would be even better what about addiction like when you have somebody come in to your i don't obviously i'm not asking you to disclose confidences or violate HIPAA or anything but like can you give me an example of a time when you've seen somebody come into your office with addiction issues and what if anything you were able to do about it um Well, not necessarily somebody wanting help, but just presenting with addiction issues and how do you identify that? Oh, yes. Uh, Well, you know, we, I saw a woman who um, hit her head after having a seizure withdrawing from alcohol, um, you know, and we end up having to send the person to the emergency room. Um, Obviously, she's having seizures, um, but, you know. It's just out there so much too. People are trying to cope uh, with this anxiety. And so, you know, hitting substances is one way to do that and um, an easy and accessible way to do that. So a decriminalized way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I see it a lot. I see people who are you know, going through the tremors and, you know, um, trying to detox on their own um, because of the cost of rehab as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely out there. I see people seeking narcotics a lot um, and 
we have cracked down on that somewhat because they do have the prescription drug monitoring program, which is very helpful in seeing, you know, how many pharmacies did somebody go to, how many narcotics did they get, uh, who gave them those narcotics. So that has been helpful. Um, and now we have limits at the healthcare um, organization that I work for how many narcotics I can give, and I'm discouraged from giving narcotics, honestly. So that has changed since when I first started practicing and I was working in orthopedics, and we would give, um, you know, lots of, of narcotics. Even in, when I worked in oncology, we would give MS-Contin and OxyContin regularly to people, and now that, I think, has changed. Well, wasn't that the standard of care? I mean, in a way, they those drug makers kind of like for some reason bamboozled <laughs> the smart people, like the doctors and the right. nurse practitioners, into believing that the patient you need to believe the subjective pain complaints of your patient and treat that pain with narcotics. That's true. Yeah. So we were giving it a lot, you know, and. Um, you know, now things, like I say, have definitely changed after. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, you can leave, I mean, back in the 90s, you could walk out of the dentist with a whole bottle of Perk 30s. <laughs> right, right. So times <laughs> have the changed. Good days, the good old days. <laughs> times have changed that way. So, you know, I guess I guess that's good. Um, but we still see plenty of it. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not super difficult to get it on the street these days. I don't know, but, um, you know, harder to get it from me in a clinic. So isn't that odd though? Isn't it a strange juxtaposition to have your hands tied by your profession and the DEA in Mm -hmm. regard to, I mean, maybe do you ever have instances where you feel like, you know, this person has like pretty severe cancer pain and mm-hmm. I would like to maybe give them more pain medication, but I, I can't. Yes. I mean, I think, um, our hands are tied with that now. Um, and there's so much, uh, regulation with that. Um, you know, or my son is on a stimulant for ADHD and if he wanted to get his stimulant a day early, um, you know, nope, sorry, you can't. I mean, you, you know, if you're going on vacation, it's a huge thing to try to arrange to get more stimulant because there's so much regulation and so much um, difficulty now with getting that. So, And isn't that bizarre? Because all around, I mean, drugs are decriminalized in Oregon. Right. And Portland is like one of the... I mean, it's not Kensington, Philadelphia, but it's certainly one of the biggest open-air drug markets in the U.S., if mm-hmm. not, I mean, maybe, I don't know that it's like some places in South America or Brazil or something, but it's mm-hmm. it's close enough. Right, right. I mean, it's not, there. you see it, at least I see it constantly, mm-hmm. if they're not openly injecting, they're <laughs> exchanging money for pet plastic packets. Right, I mean, it's definitely visible. It's out there. So oh, oh, it's fun. <laughs> it's out there, and there's nothing any of us can can do about it, even if we wanted to. And it's just so crazy. I mean, the same thing happened to me. I'm I'm just on this stupid Sudafed for allergies, mm-hmm. and I had to go mm-hmm. to the ENT's office <laughs> to pick up a paper prescription. Right, and then I had to drive it myself. I couldn't like have an assistant do this or anything. I had to take like half a day and yeah. drive it myself to yeah. OHSU and hand it 
to the pharmacist with my ID yeah. and wait for them to fill it because it's a Schedule 1 narcotic or something. Yeah, a Schedule 2. And, schedule um, 2. So, yeah, now in January, they are going to allow you to buy Sudafed over the counter now. What? Oh, yeah. You're blowing it's, my mind it's right coming. now. Are you it's coming. It's coming. Yes, here in Oregon. You heard it here first. <laughs> Starting in January. Are you serious? 2022, yes. Okay, so. because they were previously like touting this idea that you couldn't buy Sudafed over the counter in Oregon as the way that we've single-handedly extinguished <laughs> the methamphetamine problem. Right. So well, we're, now we're just like going to bring that back because we're bringing it back it's, it's happening decriminalized anyway so who gives a shit maybe is the idea <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, um, but I do remember uh, reading that is happening in January 2022. Oh, so, so well, it was so funny when I was dealing with that. I I told the ENT doctor, I I just said this is so insane because I can walk. I'm gonna take half a day. To, I appreciate the prescription. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was hard to get. I had to find. I had to drug seek, quote unquote. <laughs> I had to find somebody. Uh who would prescribe me these in a, and not need to see me every time he prescribed them to me. He finally mm -hmm. just said, just come in once a year. I'm mm -hmm. happy to, clearly you have allergy issues. I would do a sinus surgery on you. If you don't want that, I'm happy to s prescribe these to you because you have like all these problems and documented bone problems and mm -hmm. allergy problems. And so we're good. I mean, the amount, but the amount of like, I mean, the allergy test alone, I think I sent you a picture from it. The amount of blood, sweat, and tears I put into getting regular doses of Sudafed is absurd. And then it's just so funny because I'm walking the paper prescription to my car from my office, and I'm, wa I'm literally walking past <laughs> people heating up spoons and injecting <laughs> right. themselves, and I'm thinking, you know, I could probably clear this up with some five-minute yeah, math. Yeah, just get a little cocaine in there. You're going to be clearing those sinuses. Yeah. I mean, I get, in 10 minutes. I can yeah. probably find whatever I needed for less than half of what I my copay is for this. Right. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Isn't it January twenty It's such a strange dichotomy, though, right? Like it your is. hands are yes. tied. You can't yes. prescribe the pain medication. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there wasn't an opiate crisis. Certainly there was, and all those Sackler documentaries and things are a hundred percent right, and that family should be in prison. Yes. But it's. Yes. It's amazing to me how we can't engage in any nuance whatsoever and we have to swing. Oh, thanks. Nurse Betty's going to let that my dog in. Um, and you might hear her feet and her nails tapping around on the floor. I, I just think it's such a crazy dichotomy that you have your hands tied and you can't mm -hmm. prescribe prescriptions that your cancer patients need, but you have to walk past open drug use right, in and around the city and your kids are watching people inject themselves and heat up their spoons and mm -hmm, pop mm -hmm. and pills and um and you're dealing with yeah. all these patients right yeah it's uh it's crazy i mean so what if you identify somebody as having addiction issues do you suggest treatment to them or no Yes, I do. I mean, you know, we have a little sheet of paper that has like, you know, addiction resources on it, which, you know, I don't know that anyone ever uses, but, um, you know, we do have that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's sad. I mean, I feel like I can't do much for people, you know? Um, so they just get their sheet of paper and, you know, out the door they go, you know, good luck, you know? So...
Does the do they appreciate the paper or does it just piss them off? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it depends on the individual. Well, you probably have a lot of so. angry patients who don't get the drugs they want. <laughs> oh, right? that's true. Yeah, sometimes I feel nervous walking out to my car at night because uh, people get so angry that they're screaming at me in the clinic because you know they didn't get their Vicodin for their toe sprain you know um and so that's a problem too you know um we don't have security guards at all of the clinics so um so yeah I get a little nervous sometimes but um I'm not gonna just feed people's addiction easily, you know, and put my license on the line. So do you think I, this whole bring back Portland, celebrate Portland, Portland's back open for business. I mean, obviously <laughs> that that's mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. confabulation and bullshit. Right. But do you, right. I mean, do you think we can come back? Do you think Portland can rebuild? Well, I think It's going to take a long, long time for that if it happens. Um, We need different leadership, clearly. I mean, tell me something that Mayor Wheeler has done that has helped the city. Uh, You know, it all started with Charlie Hales with all the tents, um, and it's just gone downhill from there. And then the pandemic and the protests or, you know, riots, basically. Um, So I think if it does rebound it's going to take a very long time and you can tell that when you drive through the downtown or if you would choose to walk through the downtown which i do not but um it's it's a big problem but like what are i mean if you were a betting person would you put money on it coming back no (laughs) do you think it's like detroit or st louis i do i think I think it is. I mean, it's just such yeah, a, at such a state now that I don't see it rebounding anytime soon, if at all. I mean, I know people would say, well, if it's Detroit or St. Louis, why do you have this housing crisis? I mean, why are all these people, why are all these people moving to Portland? Why are house mm-hmm. prices still mm-hmm. soaring? Do you, do you have an understanding of why people are moving here? <laughs> Well, no, I don't. I mean, uh, Californians are blinded by something and they choose to come to Portland. I don't know. Um, I, like I say, I would not choose Portland out of the cities that I, you know, could go to at this point um, due to everything that I witness each day. Unfortunately, um, if you would ask me that 20 years ago, I absolutely love Portland. Do you think you're going to move out of here? Are you, are you going to, I mean, I know you have family here, but like, mm-hmm. are you going to move out of the city? It's definitely something that I consider daily, probably, um, depending on my frustration level. Um, but you know, it's, um, it's not easy. Uh, especially the housing market, my kids in schools, my parents um, here, my other family members here. Um, So, you know, but I definitely, I I think about it, you know, I want to be somewhere safe. I want to be somewhere where my tax money is going toward uh, something good uh, that I can real, you know, that I can use or utilize. Um, and, And in Portland right now, unfortunately, that's just not the case. 
What would your, what would it take? Like, what would, I mean, you've already had a drug addicted and or out of control mentally ill person at your house banging on your door. Like, did they take a shit in your flower pot? Yes, they did. Yep. that was a prize there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I remember you text. I think, I think we were texting when it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think I sent you some choice photos. It was scary. Photos. Yeah, it was scary. Um, you know, I don't want to have that happening on a more regular basis. So I guess if that would be the case or someone decides to prop a tent 10 feet from my home, which they could legally do, um, you know, <clears throat> that would make me feel like why am I paying taxes and having people live in tents here, you know, which I don't think is humane. Um, so there's that. Um, but also I think the gun violence is really disturbing having kids who are getting older and they're going to be driving around the city too. Um, and it makes you feel unsettled. Uh, you want to feel safe in your community. And unfortunately things just are getting worse and worse. They're getting closer to where I live. Um, and that doesn't make me feel good. So I think if that continues to increase, I would definitely head to the burbs. Did you, when you talked about how we've, I mean, I agree with you. I think we really deteriorated during the riots. I think, I think Mm -hmm. COVID it's like you said, you, you said it perfectly. It started with hails then uh with with mm-hmm. go ahead and pitch a tent wherever you want mm-hmm. everybody yeah. did it mm-hmm. and then it's just been this slow slide down a razor blade into a pool of alcohol with the drug decriminalization <laughs> and i which yeah. i'm actually like strangely for it's just um it it has in this city it has just because we don't have the resources. See, when that decrim I don't know if you remember this, but when that decriminalization bill passed, it was supposed to have treatment money attached to it. Okay. And the governor took the treatment money and reappropriated it. And so hmm. there is no treatment. If we, if mm-hmm. we had treatment money attached to decriminalization, I frankly, I think they should just all be legal. If people are going to do it and they're, this is just me, but mm-hmm. I think people, when I when I smoked pot, I had no problem getting pot. Right. And, and this was like decades ago. Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. I, I had no yeah. problems getting it. Yeah. And nobody I knew, uh, I knew a couple people who dabbled in coke, and they never had problems getting coke. Nobody, to the extent, and, and, and given the amount of the opiate crisis, et cetera, and not all states have drugs decriminalized, not even, I mean many pot is still illegal and guess what those mm-hmm. people don't have trouble getting drugs right yes and i because they're decriminalized i'm as much as i joked about like going out and getting some meth or some coke to like clear up my sinuses i didn't do it i went to ohsu <laughs> i got mm-hmm. my Sudafed. Mm-hmm. i don't think that decriminalization compels people to do drugs they wouldn't normally do i mean i'm not interested in getting a ball of black tar from the tin <laughs> No, no. I agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, so I mean I think it's I think I think it's great, but I in the in context of Portland mm-hmm. where it it just it magnifies the the destruction and the disintegration and the trauma that we're seeing not only people engaged in but like engaging in in public and having to 
live their trauma with them. Like we're watching them, their bl veins blow out. We're watching them walk around with wound bandages mm -hmm. where you're treating them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were cases of frostbite, gangrene, you know, um, that I've seen. So yeah, it, it's happening out there. So, but I mean, do you see people who have like abscesses from, uh, heroin? Yeah. Yes. Mm hmm. Some nasty ones. Yes. Have you ever had, like, how, what's your worst one that you've seen? Um, I've seen one on a forearm that, uh, was necrotic. And so the tissue had just totally sloughed off and, uh, left a gaping hole, um, in the forearm. <laughs> and so, um, oh you know, it, it's horrible. It's a like big Like you can see problem. the bone? Almost, but not quite. Yeah. And it smelled. Oh, the... yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you have to debride it? peppermint in your mask. Yes, <laughs> and, you right. Know, yeah, it, it was nasty. Peppermint oil, right? Mm -hmm. It's like what mm -hmm. you, it's a trick of the trade. When mm -hmm. you put in your mask, you don't have to smell it. Exactly. So, you know, um, but yeah, it, it was just, yeah, nasty. Did you cut it out or refer it out? No, we had to refer that one to the emergency room and... Uh, so hopefully that person got some treatment. But, yeah, but I mean, yeah. this is all, it's just a problem because it's all yes. just playing out publicly. Mm -hmm. And that means that not only are people living their drug addiction trauma, but we're living it with them and watching them disintegrate and practically participating in it because we're just walking by, attempting mm -hmm. to go about our business and trying to live and pretend that we're not seeing what we're seeing mm -hmm. and try to unsee what we're seeing. And I'm sure you have to do that every day. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's just unfortunately right in your face, you know, and even if it, I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, I definitely want people to get help and I want there to be more resources. And so I want to support someone in our government, city government, who will help us to be able to do that because of what I see, because how sad and uh, repulsive and horrible uh, the conditions that I see are. Um, so I really hope we can band together as a city and change things around. Um, if not, you know, I guess, like I say, it'll be the suburbs for me or some other city. Yeah, I, I, I think the, do you feel like the, well, you did say that. I, I agree with you. I think the riots contributed to the disintegration mm -hmm. of the city. Obviously, if your city's burning, there's nothing good about it. <laughs> All the, the um, broken windows and the boarding up oh, of the businesses. And, yeah, yeah, so... I mean, it's still happening. So how mm -hmm. did that unrest of 2020 affect your practice, if at all? Well, I think the defunding of the police, um, you know, led to increased violence. And then, um, you know, that just trickles down to um, our community. And so then, you know, we're seeing, you know, I mean, unfortunately, somebody got, you know, so, you know, gunshot wounds, you know, things like that too. Um, so it's just more violence um, and 
I think that has contributed to what I'm seeing and, and also with the mental health anxiety issues increasing. So. Yeah. In other words, people, crime is going up. People are more anxious. Violent mm-hmm. crime is going up, leading to more anxiety. Exactly. And you're seeing victims of violent crime. I mean, rarely, but it has happened. So is that increasing? Yes, I think so. Um, you know, people getting beat up or, uh, people, um, I, I don't usually see stab wounds that goes to the emergency room, but, um, you know, definitely people being attacked or robbed at gunpoint and having, uh, stress after having that, um, happen. I've seen that. Um, so, you know, just more crime, more violence. It's, it's not good. So you're, you're a mom, you live in Portland, you're a nurse practitioner. What, if, what advice would you give, if any? You know, I mean, maybe you're just going to say, fuck it, I don't know. I mean, I'm like just kind of doing the best I can here. But mm-hmm. like what advice would you give to moms, other moms raising kids in Portland? Uh, well, I would say to do your own um research as far as what's going on with the coronavirus and the delta variant and mask wearing and that will help to hopefully you know either alleviate or decrease your anxiety um and um i would say when you say do your research are you basically saying um, what Bill Maher is saying, which is that like these blue states and blue cities are overplaying how, particularly for vaccinated people, how dangerous COVID is. I believe so. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you would say to a anxious mom out there, do your research and find out and just be, feel better because know that your kid is probably not going to end up on a ventilator from COVID. From what I've seen. Yes. I am by no means an expert, but from what I've seen, yes. Well, technically, so. you are an expert. <laughs> you're more expert than I mean. You're more expert than anybody we've had on this show, that's for sure. If you're not an expert, nobody's going to listen to me. <laughs> if you're not an expert, we're all fucked. So what, what, if, what about somebody who wants to get into nursing? What kind of advice would you give that person? Uh, I still think it's a good career. You know, it's flexible. Hours are flexible. Lots of different options. So it would be good. Um, You know, nurses do have a tendency to eat their young. So you need to kind of just go through that and hang in there. And um, it's still, I think, a rewarding and good career to have. Well, this was great. I This was super eye-opening for me. I really appreciate you being here. Is there anything else you want to say or talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, I just want to say thank you, Karen, for having me on. It's been a lot of fun, and um, I really appreciate how you're talking about the things that many people here in Portland feel that they cannot say out loud uh, in front of people, um, these taboo conversations. So thank you. I hope you come back on. Thank you. Well, that's all folks. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, 
please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You can find us on Walla Moms Pod on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.